Laurent Pifot is a luxury industry veteran with over 15 years in leadership positions at global luxury houses, from Chanel and Dior to Alexander McQueen and Prada. Laurent noticed during his time developing luxury retail strategies for these major luxury brands across the globe that there was a real bottleneck in finding top talent, especially when needed within short notice and for short periods of time. From this frustration, his company Dweet was founded in 2019 and has gone on to become the leading platform within luxury fashion to match brands with talent. Season three of Tech Powered Luxury is proudly brought to you in partnership with our amazing sponsor, Farmhouse Fresh, an American skincare brand on a mission to rescue complexions and animals. Founded 19 years ago by Shannon MacLinden, the brand has over 200 incredible skincare products with ingredients grown fresh on their farm in Texas. The Farmhouse Fresh custom-designed ranch headquarters is built on a 10-acre hill and is home to a hydroponic greenhouse, a spa and training facility, a non-profit farm animal sanctuary, meaning they are surrounded every day by the beautiful animals that they rescue. With 70 employees and thousands of spas who provide Farmhouse Fresh skincare experiences, Farmhouse Fresh is known for freshly grown skincare that rescues both complexions and animals. Loved by household names and celebrities around the globe, including Oprah, who discovered Farmhouse Fresh in 2007, as well as Catherine Zeta-Jones, Lisa Kudrow, and many, many more. Every single product from Farmhouse Fresh has a code that allows you to track and discover which animals were rescued thanks to your purchase. We could not have asked for a better partner for season three of Tech Powered Luxury, who embodies luxury, technology, and most importantly, kindness into their business. Our listeners benefit from $10 off every $100 purchase with the code TLUXURY on farmhousefreshgoods.com. Hello, this is Ashley MacDonald, host of Tech Powered Luxury. In today's episode, we'll be hearing about French businessman Laurent Pifot's journey from leadership roles in the world of corporate luxury to co-founding a tech platform that uses a deep understanding of the needs of luxury brands and talents, along with artificial intelligence, to close the gap on recruitment. Laurent and I will be discussing everything from how he pivoted from finance to the luxury industry very early in his career, to how he moved from finance-focused roles to retail and general management within Chanel, and eventually his journey as an entrepreneur and solving the biggest challenges within today's startup ecosystem, funding, finding clients and finding platform users. Laurent, welcome to Tech Powered Luxury. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Thanks for having me. Very happy to have you today. This is our, our second attempt. Technology failed us the yes. first time, <laughs> but we're back. We're back again. <laughs> no, that's, uh, it, it, it's great to be, uh, to be here today. Yes, we've been a bit unlucky last week. Uh, for various reasons, but I uh, have a good feeling about today. Me too. So today you are live from Frankfurt and yeah. you've been on the go traveling like crazy. We just spoke about it month of July in the fashion world. It's an intense one because everyone takes yeah. August off. So um, how is everything going with you at the moment? Extremely well. I mean, uh, as you said, uh, last week of July is uh, always crazy. We're trying to close as many uh, discussions and deals as possible before the fashion world, uh, especially in France shuts down, you know, for uh, three uh, weeks in, uh, in August. Exactly. And I'm part of that last minute rush as well, <laughs> making <laughs> sure we get as many uh, podcast episodes ready so that when we go live and um, with the new season that we have everything ready to go. But before we jump into what you're doing today um, and what you've been doing for the last, you know, kind of 10, 15 years in luxury in particular, yeah. can you tell me who you are and what led you to where you are? Sure. So I'm Laurent Pifot. Uh, I'm uh, a co-CEO of uh, Duit. 
I will tell you more about it uh, later, but I'm the, the French guy from the, from the team. I teamed up with uh, two uh, British partners and we started with in, uh, in London. But uh, yeah, before that, I, uh, I come from Lyon in France. I have three kids uh, and a wife who have been uh, instrumental also uh, in my decision to start Twit three and a half years ago now. In a nutshell, uh, that, that, that's me. I, uh, I worked uh, 16 years in fashion on the corporate side of the, of the business. And uh, for the past three and a half years, I'm now an entrepreneur. Fantastic. And if we take it a step back, you said, you know, you're from Lyon, you grew up there, but I know you had a very international education, ah. um, which was really important in kind of getting to where you are today and not just uh, learning about luxury, but also finance and whatnot. So could you talk to me a little bit about your educational journey? Yeah, as you said, I'm from Lyon uh, in, uh, in France and I've always been extremely uh, interested and open about the world uh, for some reason. And I started very uh, early as soon as I had an opportunity I grasp it to, uh, to travel and uh, discover new uh, cultures. And uh, my first uh, significant experience uh, was when I was 17, I moved to the US. I've done my last year of high, high school in Ohio, in, uh, in, in Cleveland, and I never looked back. Uh, each time I had an opportunity, uh, I, um, I, I, I studied or worked abroad. I, uh, I have a, a BA in money and banking uh, mm -hmm. from the University of Reading. I, uh, and then uh, moved back to France and did a, a master in, uh, in money and banking again. That was really my, uh, my, my, my big focus at the time. And I've done it mm -hmm. uh, partly in Lyon and partly in Frankfurt, where I am actually today uh, by, uh, by, by chance. And uh, then I've done a business school in Paris, took, I mean, various, uh, let's say, um, missions, because uh, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of internships uh, during this, uh, this business school. Uh, but actually I've done this business school because I wanted to shift away from uh, pure finance because uh, after uh, studying and focusing and doing internships in this uh, environment, I realized that uh, I wanted to find uh, a work that was closer to my aspirations, closer mm -hmm. to people. Yeah, uh, mainly and then with more human interactions. And you definitely got that with the world of fashion and luxury yes, and, and yes. beauty. Uh, you can't avoid people. That's, I think... Uh, the key to success actually in these, yeah, exactly. I know you, you said it, it's corporate, but at the same time, um, it's putting beautiful products in the hands of consumers and a huge amount of collaboration, communication yeah. goes behind all of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you had a very international education, although it was uh, very much focused on, as you said, finance and money yeah. and business from the beginning. It actually gave you a very strong foundation to arrive into the luxury industry. So could you talk to me a bit about your, your first luxury job and how you found it? Yes. I mean, obviously, uh, nowadays, uh, it seems a bit uh, weird to start in finance and work in fashion, but he, actually, I'm 46 years old. And uh, when I was studying at the time, the dream jobs were in finance. LVMH mm. uh, was not what it is today. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the young kids uh, today dream either of, uh, uh, you know, starting their own business or uh, to, to, to work in the, in the luxury uh, industry. I'm talking about French people <laughs> mostly. Yeah. And uh, at the time, uh, nothing like that existed in the late 90s. Um, I mean, these, uh, these, these brands were a lot uh, smaller. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I started in finance, but uh, after my business school, I had the opportunity to, uh, to start working for L'Oréal in Sweden. So uh, I joined uh, the, 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 the group there and that work in so another duty. new country for you yeah another country yeah <laughs> and 
this is where you know I learned about selective distribution, and uh, it was my first grasp of uh, wholesale and retail. Yeah. Uh, but I was still working there as a uh, financial controller. Okay. Uh, I then had the opportunity to join Chanel as a uh, retail controller, so managing a network of stores. Uh, it was the stores uh, of uh, northern and southern Europe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's actually uh, my first uh, step into fashion, joining uh, Chanel. And at this point, you moved back to Paris or back to France yes. to join Chanel, which even at that time would have already been at the pinnacle of luxury and one of the, the strongest luxury brands in the world. So how did you feel, you know, coming back to France and, and joining Chanel? Either way, I can I can say retrospectively that it was actually a dream to work yeah. for, uh, for 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 Chanel, as you said, you know, at, at the pinnacle of uh, of luxury and I'm mean, setting a, a a dream, you know. I've always been extremely curious and I've always been uh, wanting to uh, see behind the scene and uh, you know how uh, these 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 companies were uh, actually uh, building this uh, this dream. So yeah. When I saw this opportunity, I joined Chanel, uh, I mean, uh, as a controller, which was not my dream, you know, I really wanted at the time already to work closer to the people and the product, but doing a side move, you know, was my way in and, uh, and coming back to, uh, to Paris, obviously at the, at the, at the HQ, very close from the studio of Karl Lagerfeld uh, was uh, obviously an obvious choice. Absolutely. So even at that time, you know, Karl Lagerfeld, he was someone that everyone knew about in fashion. So you're arriving in Chanel, back to Paris. It's uh, it's quite the dream for a lot of people, um, whether they want to work in luxury or fashion or not. Like that's, it's kind of what comes to mind. You think of The Devil Wears Prada, these types of movies and shows. Um, but basically you were, you were living that um, yeah. kind of Emily in Paris moment, but of the, the <laughs> noughties. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly, exactly. And I was surprised, uh, like uh, many, I guess, but when you, uh, when you join a company like, uh, like Chanel, and I guess that's uh, part of its success, yeah. I joined at the bottom of the ladder in a way. You know, and uh, even though someone welcomed me and sat me in an office and told me that what's important for a brand like Chanel is building the brand equity. And we all have a role, uh, you know, to play. We have internal clients. So if it's not the end client in the store, we all have internal clients and we yeah. all have to deliver the best service possible. You know, uh, so it was interesting for me to understand that even though I was starting at the at the bottom of the ladder in a way, yeah. I had a role to play, you know, in building that dream. Super interesting to hear brand equity. Was that the first time that you'd been really, you know, introduced to the concept of how important brand equity is for luxury? 100%, you know, because I mean, as you understood, uh, my study and my experiences were revolving around finance. And uh, I mean, I, I thought that the goal of a business was primarily to grow the size of the business, you know, and to improve your profitability. And straight away, uh, during that first meeting, I was told that, yes, obviously, mm -hmm. this is important. But the owners of Chanel want to basically make sure that not their children, but their grandchildren, yeah. you know, inherit uh, of a brand that has a huge uh, brand equity that is and remains the ultimate house of luxury. So it was uh, honestly an eye-opener for me at the time. 
Incredible. So they're not definitely not thinking, uh, you know, on a monthly or a quarterly mm. basis, but it's actually generational. It's thinking, yes. how do we make sure that we, you know, keep this brand not just alive, but that it's growing and we preserve it for, for the next uh, generation of people coming. And you don't hear that in every industry, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it made me understand the, the, the fact that I've stepped in a uh, different world. Uh, yeah. it, which is not only uh, rational, but also emotional. And your time at Chanel, actually, you were there for quite quite a couple of years and it wasn't just in Paris. Can you tell me a little bit about your trajectory internally within the company and um, how you moved from more finance-focused roles to more general management roles? So, I mean, I joined Chanel, as I told you earlier, as a retail controller, which was a lateral move career-wise versus L'Oréal, you know, but uh, obviously that was my way in Um but I didn't want to uh, do a career in uh, in finance. Mm. You know, I really uh, wanted to uh, uh, one day uh, to to become a GM. You know, to become a part of um, top management. Um, and uh, so when I joined, basically I went and I uh, uh, had a meeting with the uh, the European retail director at the time, mm. and I told uh, this woman uh, that uh, one day, you know, I wanted to be part of a team. Uh, which did not uh, make a lot of sense coming from from finance, especially at the mm-hmm. time, you know. Uh, but I said, if there is one opportunity one day to work in a store, they needed to think about me. And uh, <laughs> it took two years before I received that call. Uh, but after two years, you know, uh, uh, the HR called me and uh, told me that there was the possibility to become the assistant store director of the store Rue Cambon. Uh, which uh, was at the time and is still today the main flagship, you know, and the original store. Uh, so becoming the number two of this store, which was not as big as it is today, obviously, but still it was a big operation with uh, 60, 65 people uh, working there, was a, a great opportunity for me uh, to, uh, to to evolve. So I've done that for two years. Uh, I was the assistant store director, Recombon, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was given the opportunity to move to Dubai and to uh, take over the fashion business uh, of the Middle East. Uh, so uh, we moved with a family to Dubai and um, I was managing the wholesale and retail uh, business in, uh, in the Middle East and in India. Yeah. And I uh, also had Turkey uh, for a little while and part of um, uh, the Mediterranean. I've um, done that for uh, five years actually. And uh, yeah, and all in all, uh, that was uh, 10 years already at, uh, at Chanel. And we briefly spoke about this before, but actually Tech Powered Luxury has a very big listenership in the Middle East and the Gulf region in particular, which is really interesting. Even this morning I checked and we have our you know episode where we had Hanin Al-Safi, a Qatari influencer on, and it's yeah. still trending across the Middle East. People are very hungry for information and they want to understand how is the luxury industry evolving um, in that market? Um, how are brands also adapting to consumer behavior there? So can yeah. you tell me a little bit about what you learned while, while based in Dubai and um, in that role at Chanel? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, talking about the Middle East and living in the Middle East are two different things. And moving to Dubai was an eye-opener uh, for me uh, to a uh, a whole different world and you only grasp the size of the opportunity only when you actually uh, visit Dubai, visit now also certain cities in Saudi, uh, visit, I mean, at the time, Beirut, uh, which was extremely impressive, Qatar, um, uh, Kuwait, 
and uh, and now also uh, India. Obviously, I mean India is not in the Middle East, but it was part yes. of my of my yeah. at the time. Uh, it's it's impressive. Uh, I think we have some of the most passionate clients mm. in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, people who are uh, you know extremely demanding, but in a good way, and that help certain brands evolve and actually become even more ambitious yeah. in terms of the, the quality of the product they produce. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the Middle East is an amazing driver nowadays for the luxury world. It's, it's actually really interesting because obviously France is where many of these major luxury brands and groups are headquartered and where they originate from. But the French market is no longer really growing, actually. It's kind of reached its uh, point of like, no, no more people can um, can be buying even more luxury. So it's people who are traveling, who are contributing to the growth of the luxury industry within Europe. People coming from outside of, of the EU, people coming from the US, from India, like you said, it's a huge growing market, China, the Middle East. So there's growth in those countries, but the growth that we actually see within uh, you know our locality, it's coming from people from other nationalities. So I think it's more important now than ever before to understand other cultures, other buying behavior, even if you're on Rue Cambon in Paris, yeah. you know, how many of your customers coming into Chanel are actually French um, yeah. and how many are coming from these, these new uh, economies? A hundred percent. It's always, um, let's say, a discussion that uh, some luxury brands have internally. They are selling a certain savoir-faire, mm. certain vision of luxury. Obviously, they want to appeal to their international customers that's uh, yeah. key uh, for, for them but then how much do you want to adapt you know and uh, and also uh, uh, how much do you want to stay true to your uh, uh, core uh, core values mm -hmm. so I think the, the luxury brands today are managing this quite well you know and uh, organizing events uh, experiences locally in the different markets that really uh, appeal to the local customers at the same time you know stay true to their, uh, to their to their to their values in terms mm -hmm. of uh, you know the the, the 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 style you know and for some brands the Parisian styles or the the, the Italian style for Italian brands or uh, the British style for uh, certain British brands because also that's that's what the international clients are purchasing but at the same time uh, making sure that the local clients feel understood you know and uh, and also receive the experiences that touch them. Um, I couldn't agree more. And even uh, like that's reflected within the teams now. Um, like you said, the top management teams uh, that we see from these um, major luxury brands and groups and whatnot, like we have to be able to understand the consumers that we want to either cater to or that we want to recruit. And we can't do that by guessing. Um, it's actually far too risky, especially yeah. like we said, brand equity is so important. It's the thing that has to be protected at all costs um, and especially in today's world a very quick way to destroy your brand equity is to do something that is offensive to a specific culture and yeah exactly you, you don't want to appear uh, you know gimmicky mm. uh, that's uh, that's important at the same time you need to adapt I mean I have so many examples but if you talk about India for example um, you know at the time uh, we opened stores in New Delhi and Mumbai and uh I mean, at some points, uh, I had a discussion with, um, I mean, the, the president of Chanel, you know, was asking uh, me, again, it was uh, more than 10 years ago now, but asking me why we're not selling more um, tweed jackets, you know, in uh, <laughs> in India. And yeah. actually that the ready-to-wear was not working that well. 
Well, you know, I had similar discussions with uh, very uh, wealthy uh, Indian clients and they were telling me, Laurent, if you have the best Indian sari brand that opens a shop, you know, the Champs-Élysées and sells a, a sari at 15,000 euros, how many French people will buy them, you know? So, uh, you know, having a very thick tweed jacket when you have 95% humidity and uh, it's 42 degrees, you know, in the summer doesn't make uh, a lot of sense. At the same time, you know, you don't want to uh, create a Chanel Sari, you know, because that's not what Chanel uh, knows uh, to do. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what, you know, the, the brands, uh, you know, uh, needs to, uh, let's say, to, to, to take into account. Yeah, like luxury, it, it means something different for different people. And like you said, if... If you're a high net worth individual in India and you've had the same tailor for you and your family for years and everything is, is custom made and really made, you know, to perfectly fit you, that's obviously going to be far more luxurious than having something uh, that comes straight from a hanger in a store and that's not being uh, fitted to your style and your taste. Yeah, exactly. And same for, uh, you know, Chanel Abaya, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in Dubai, I mean, Culture, cultural appropriation, you know, is uh, also very tricky and uh, a thin uh, thread, you know. So, um, you know, the, the, the brands uh, stick to uh, to what uh, they do uh, well, you know, and uh, and propose the best uh, the best product possible, but respecting uh, obviously the local uh, the local culture, absolutely the heritage. Uh, Laurent, I have a question that I ask more or less all of our guests that come on. Like, how do they find the balance between luxury and business but a lot of our guests have really come from a more I would say creative background whether it's design or um, you know the things that they studied or they had their first experiences with but you actually really came from very much the business side of things so how did you other than you know learning while doing at, at Chanel in particular but how did you find that right balance between this makes sense for business but this makes sense for luxury and for brand equity? I mean yeah, I was, as I was telling you, Chanel taught me a lot. Uh, but after Chanel, um, I, do, I joined Christian Dior at LVMH. And uh, obviously, LVMH uh, does it also mm. very, uh, very well. For me, luxury, I mean, everyone has his or her own yeah. uh, definition of, 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 of luxury. But uh, for me, it's, uh, it's about the service you provide yeah. and the attention to detail. This can be applied to business, you know, and... Uh, and if your clients feel that they are, uh, you know, well taken care of, yeah. and uh, if they feel that they have a, spe a special level of attention, mm. uh, obviously they will feel that uh, they are being delivered a, a, a luxury, a kind of um, service. Yeah. For me, it's really uh, about the attention to detail, and it's about the quality of the service and uh, the, that you deliver to your client. Really good point, and. When it comes to your entrepreneurial journey, at one point, did you say, you know what, I've done everything I wanted to do at Chanel. It's time for me to do something new. And what made you decide to launch something of your own? I mean, I've always wanted to start my own business. Um, and in a way, I was fortunate to have uh, an interesting uh, corporate career. And uh, I never had the feeling that, you know, I was uh, blocked or uh, so, I mean, Every two years, more or less, uh, I was getting a new a new opportunity. So I had the feeling at some point that I was an intrapreneur. You know, I was an yes. entrepreneur <laughs> but within a corporate setting. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I moved to Dubai, 
Uh, I was there to develop uh, our, our business over there. My team grew from 25 to 160 people. Uh, yeah, over the course of the five years, we went from, at the time, I think uh, it was around 25 million to uh, close to 200 million of turnover. Wow. I'm sure that today they do a lot more. Exactly. I'm, th I'm thinking it was already a lot, but knowing the growth that's happened. Yeah, no, I left in, uh, in 2015. So that's why I can talk about figures. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, now I'm sure that they are totally different. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I did not really have this frustration. The only frustration I had was mm. I wanted to build something that was my own, you know, and when you work for Chanel, it's opening a lot of doors, but you are Mr. Chanel, right? You're not necessarily Laurent Pifot. And, uh, and someone after me, uh, you know, we do uh, the, 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 the same job and people will have forgotten about, uh, about, uh, about me. Uh, so always in the corner of my mind, I always wanted to start my own business. Now starting your own business depends on a lot of things. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, you know, you need to find the idea and um, very often you need to find the people, you know, you want to, uh, to, yeah. to, to, to do this with. I mean, it took me a long time and I only started at 42 years old. <laughs> so yeah. it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. Uh, but really, first of all, I suffered a pain, you know, uh, as uh, let's say, I'm going to say as top executive mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in, in fashion, I needed uh, on uh, many different occasions, yeah. you know, to hire people. It was always a painful or expensive process, okay. you know, and uh, so I knew I had a feeling that something mm. could be improved on that front and coming from uh, tech, uh, coming from finance, I knew that this existed for other industries. Mm -hmm. And I was always surprised how old school recruitment was in fashion and luxury. Um, so yes, I mean, it was really always in the corner of my head. I wanted to start my own business, but it took me, you know, uh, first of all, to suffer pain and then to uh, meet with my uh, two co-founders, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to, uh, to, to start uh, actually, actually being an entrepreneur. It's a really good uh, insight, actually, because I'm sure there are lots of people that have this pain or frustration, as you called it, of you, you want to build something of your own. And often that comes after spending 10 or 20 years in a corporate role. It's not yeah. something you get right at the beginning. Often you start out and you're so proud to be associated with these brands and you want to build. Um, yeah. But then when you've done all the building that you want to do for them, and maybe you want to build something yourself, uh, it's not too late. So yeah, how did you do it? What was the first step you took to actually launching um, your company, Tweet? Yeah, so I mean, just a little step back. So after Dior, uh, where I was a GM uh, for Dior in Central Europe, managing uh, Germany, Switzerland, Czech Republic, and Austria. Mm -hmm. I uh, moved to London with my family and I joined Alexander McQueen mm -hmm. from Caring because uh, there was a new CEO. There was a very exciting project. And I joined as a global retail director and we opened stores everywhere mm -hmm. in Asia, mainly in China, in Japan, in the US, in Europe. And it's really in the US um, that uh, it opened my eyes. First of all, more and more people uh, in the US are working independently as consultants, as freelancers, you know, and it's, it's a big, big trend over there. There was one situation where uh, at McQueen, we were opening a store in, um, I forgot if it was in Vegas or in Los Angeles, but at the same time, we had an issue in New York with our store management and we needed to hire someone super fast. And we found an agency that provided with us, sorry, with a consultant who managed the store for three months while we were, uh, you know, opening yeah. a store in on the West Coast. 
And I found that great. Uh, but it was a small agency. It was still a bit old school, but just this service of finding, you know, a, a, a strong professional that could work for us for three months. I found it uh, extremely useful. Coming back to Europe, I had a lot of uh, similar situation. My head of communication, you know, was, uh, was sick a few months before the show and I needed to find someone fast, you know, and we could not find anyone. Uh, so, you know, I had this growing pain. Mm. I was like, oh, come on, you know, uh, there, there, there must be a way, you know, uh, to find good people fast and reliably. So I felt this pain. Um, after two years at McQueen, I decided that I would stop this business. You know, I, I thought I would do it. Uh, I quit and, uh, and try to uh, do it by myself. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> then uh, I realized that uh, it was a very ambitious uh, yeah. project. I uh, actually did a stint at Prada uh, for a nine-month uh, mission as a retail operation director for Northern Europe. Uh, it was an opportunity for me to discover another brand, which was not French, an Italian brand this time, <laughs> you know. Um, it's, again, convinced me that there was a, a growing pain on the talent side in the fashion industry. And while working at Prada, I met with Eli. And uh, Eli is uh, my first uh, business partner on, mm -hmm. uh, on Duit. He He's coming from the recruitment industry, but more in the tech and finance uh, parts. And uh, so he knows how to... Uh, build, you know, uh, uh, big, uh, big operations, uh, recruiting operations. <clears throat> and uh, we decided to join forces uh, and uh, to start Tweet. And uh, shortly after, only a month after, we really needed someone who could help us uh, make it happen, you know, on the yeah. tech side. And uh, that's where we met with Andreas. We uh, decided to join forces and the three of us uh, started Tweet. Uh, so sorry, so... It's a long monologue, but that's the the inception. Yeah, no, it's it's it makes a lot of sense. So you really noticed, well, you had a pain point, um, technically from the customer point of view. Like you were the one yeah. that was looking to pay to have people come on and fill gaps that otherwise could actually be quite a big risk in the overall business. It's a risk if you have nobody there and it's a risk if you have the wrong person there. Yeah. But there was no quick way to have this done. So you found the people, you went for it, you created the company, what happened next? How did you actually build your first kind of product? Yeah. And how did you find your first clients? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, obviously a really good question and a, and a critical one. So when we uh, decided to uh, to start to it, it was uh, in the last month of 2019 and the very beginning of 2020. Um, we sat down, you know, we work, you know, and uh, we drew and, and sketched what our solution could look like. And uh, exactly when uh, we were doing that, COVID happened. <laughs> we were having our first conversations uh, with clients. We, uh, we had just signed uh, Hermes in London. Uh, we were discussing with Dior. And, uh, and our first, actually, uh, solution was uh, centered around retail, you know, uh, okay. because that's where I came from. Yeah. I knew that there was a burning pain in retail. But then COVID happened. So... Uh, we quickly uh, pivoted and, uh, and it became a platform for all uh, fashion talent, all fashion professionals at every level of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, of the industry. And we started, uh, you know, presenting people uh, for at HQ uh, level and not only in the stores and, uh, and, and, and in retail. So 
how it started basically it was a lot of coffees because <laughs> uh, we were building a marketplace yeah. right so uh, take, building a marketplace takes time because you need uh, to create and to aggregate an offer and you need uh, then uh, to find the demands you know and then to yeah. plug them together so Classic so, uh, chicken and egg uh, yeah, situation. Exactly. And for a lot of tech companies, whether it's a social platform, like you need content, but you need people, you need users. And then where do you get brands to come in? Because they're the ones that are going to monetize. Um, exactly. So how did you find the balance? How did you get both kind of building at the same time? Yeah, I mean, we started uh, discussing with a lot of professionals in the industry and uh, we uh, told them about our ambition to build this community of professionals, uh, you know, called Do It. We started with my network. And then we, uh, we initiated the, the word of mouth, you know, join Do It, it's free uh, and you can find work and opportunities, you know, in the fashion industry. Mm. So, uh, you know, it started with one, uh, then 10, then a hundred, then a thousand people yeah. who joined uh, us. At the beginning, it was just, uh, you know, just a, a database in Pipedrive. Uh, but then uh, uh, with the help of Andreas quickly, we uh, created our websites and people had the possibility to, uh, to be onboarded. On the platform so that was on the talent side and then on the client side i mean we knocked on doors <laughs> you know and uh we um, contacted uh, people again from my my, my network initially yeah. so that's the the beauty you know of having uh, 16 18 years of experience in an industry you have you know some some contacts and people are opening their doors and at least they're polite and they're listening yeah. you know um and uh, yeah so we asked them you know what are you suffering from who do you need to hire? And uh, would you allow us to find people for you? And uh, yeah, our first client was Lanvin. I mean, we uh, we, uh, we 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 placed uh, our first uh, consultant uh, there mm -hmm. end of uh, 2020, early 2021. Fantastic. Um, your website is amazing, by the way. I really love it because it's the perfect combination of uh, luxury, but it's actually a website that works. It's high tech. Um, mm. And you've got some incredible brands that you work with now. I guess you're working with the majority of, of luxury fashion and, you know, houses in the world. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, it's a snowball effect yeah. and the snowball uh, is, starts extremely, extremely small. You know, but slowly, uh, and you need to be patient in this industry. I mean, that's obviously something I learned. Um, uh, the reason why, uh, you know, no one has done it is because it takes a lot of time and resilience. But that's when I remembered my experience at Chanel, you know, and uh, at Chanel, they talk about the Chanel time, you know, which is not the regular company, uh, you know, business time. So you need to be patient um, and you need to build trust, obviously, um, so, you know, on one end, you build a, a tech that allows you to go, uh, you know, a lot faster than yeah. the existing solutions. On the other end, you know, you need to reassure the brands that uh, it's not just a tech solution. You know, there are serious people behind that we do our homework. We, uh, mm -hmm. we know the industry, you know, and, uh, and we place uh, people that are relevant for our, for our clients. So you need to be extremely patient. Actually, the platform tweet itself, it caters to both sides. It caters yeah. to people that want to find work to do with luxury yeah. brands, whether it's a full-time contract, short-term contract, freelance or whatnot. And then it also caters to the actual businesses who are looking to hire people. So yes. on a day-to-day -day basis, what kind of people are you actually interacting with? So on a day-to-day, -day, uh, we... Uh, so now we have a team, uh, we are 20 uh, people working at, uh, at, at Duit and um, a critical uh, part of our business, a part uh, from the tech team that is actually building the solution, 
It's also a, a team of talent success who are constantly in contact with talents. Because uh, first and foremost, you know, uh, people join us for our community, you mm -hmm. know, uh, yeah. and uh, so the, 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 the clients trust us uh, because we uh, have the best people from the industry, you know, on, uh, on our platform. So today we have around 24,000 people on the, on the platform. It's really just uh, the beginning. Uh, but uh, so we, on a daily basis, interact with talents yeah. um, and uh, uh, me, especially with clients, you know, so... Uh, I connect with new uh, with new brands. Now we have uh, over 120 uh, brands that have signed up, you know, on our on our on our platform. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that, that's mainly what I do. And uh, I would say thirds, I mean a bit less these days, but it's going to resume uh, soon. But I've spent a lot of time fundraising uh, as well. Amazing. Can you actually tell us a little bit about that journey? Because with any company today, especially that has a tech focus, fundraising is a really key element to getting. Um, the capital you need to scale at a fast enough pace to have enough market share and to make yeah. sure that, you know, if, if you're the first one there with this kind of product that you uh, get as many people on board. 100%. I mean, the dream of any entrepreneur is to bootstrap, right? And to uh, generate the cash that you need to grow your business. But in reality, especially if you want to accelerate and especially if you're building a marketplace, yeah. you need a bit of cash at the beginning, because as we said earlier, it takes time. And you, you don't have Chanel time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe Chanel had the time, you know, in the 1919. But uh, I mean, today, obviously, Chanel has different means that you don't have when you start your own business. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, we uh, uh, discussed uh, our project with, uh, as we say, friends and family. And uh, we were lucky enough to have uh, a group of people that believed enough in uh, Eli, Andreas, and uh, and myself, and uh, gave us a bit of cash, you know, to start to start the business. Uh, that was our initial uh, fundraise at the very beginning, uh, and then um, uh, after another nine months, you know, we built, um, as we say, minimum viable products. We had a website; people could sign up. We had uh, our first clients, so now you know uh, we could uh, find, let's say, a bit more institutional or let's say a bit more professional investors. Uh, so we went uh, and met with family offices, uh, with business angels, and uh, we did a second fundraise uh, nine months later, um, and uh, and then another one a bit more serious uh, at the beginning of this year. We raised one point two million pounds. Fantastic! Uh, with uh, a group of uh, business angels, people that invested in our early stage and that invested again, and uh, and also uh, our first uh, VC. That joined us uh, on the on that last round. Fantastic, and you know you've kind of spoken about the journey of building everything, making sure that you have actually talent on the platform and yeah. brands because you need to. You're kind of you're the matchmakers really between um, both, but. At the same time, your marketing has been incredibly strong, which it needs to be in the luxury world. Um, and you know you've been covered by publications like Vogue Business and whatnot. So. How do you find balance between building everything and making sure that you also have a really strong marketing strategy? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an extremely good uh, question, Ashley. And today, let's say in our founding team between uh, Eli, Andreas and I, what we're missing today is a strong marketeer, if I'm being honest. Uh, so we all for have people listening, of, <laughs> yeah. go onto the Dweed platform, apply for the job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, it's... Uh, it's important, you know, to know where we, where your strength lies, yeah. uh, but also where you can improve. 
And today we have really focused on building strong interactions with brands, hand to hand combat, you know, one by one. We, uh, we have signed uh, clients. We, uh, we want to attract the best talent to the platform. So we used mainly LinkedIn uh, because we, uh, we started with Instagram, but Instagram, you know, today is a bit blurry, uh, you know, and uh, not, 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 not so straightforward, you know, the type of people you attract on the, on the platform. And uh, basically it's more a, um, to, to, to showcase, you know, your, your, your values and uh, to talk a bit about your brand, but exactly how many people you are, you on board through uh, Instagram is um, today not, not very um, easy uh, to, uh, to understand for us. So we focused on LinkedIn uh, so far and, uh, and we're actually pretty happy about the, the, the results. We um, uh, improve also our SEO and um, on, on the website and the quality of the communication. And as you said, you know, uh, we uh, also prevail, uh, let's say, focused more on on qualitative publications like Vogue Business yeah. uh, or Forbes. I mean, you're reaching exactly who wants to use a platform like yours. But also there's, it's, it's funny because you're saying like LinkedIn is, is great or whatever. LinkedIn technically is a competitor of you as well because people can apply for jobs on LinkedIn. So... How does that work? Yeah, well, actually, we're a very good client of LinkedIn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, everyone's because, happy then. Win-win. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we uh, we buy a lot of uh, LinkedIn recruiter licenses. Yeah. Because whenever we don't have, you know, the the, the necessary talent on yeah. the on the platform, we search the talent ourselves, obviously. Okay. And uh, you know, as we grow, it's less and less necessary. But when you yeah. start, it's extremely necessary. <laughs> so we do a, a, a lot of manual uh, reach out you know, and encourage people to sign up and create a profile on, on, on the platform. Uh, so yeah, I think it's really win-win. We're a good client of LinkedIn, you know, and, uh, and we, yes, we, in a way we're competitor, but, um, uh, at the same time, we offer a different service. Yeah. yeah, within the same ecosystem. And I think that's really important for um, people who are working in this space. It's to yes. figure out how can you find your space within the ecosystem and uh, reach the right people because you need to find your audience. And if they're reading Vogue Business or if they're on LinkedIn, then exactly that's where you need to be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, uh, it's really feeding the ecosystem. Season three of Tech Powered Luxury is proudly brought to you in partnership with our amazing sponsor, Farmhouse Fresh, an American skincare brand on a mission to rescue complexions and animals. Our listeners benefit from $10 off every $100 purchase with the code TLUXURY on farmhousefreshgoods.com. I mean, you've achieved a lot already with the business in such a short amount of time and probably COVID was the, the unexpected maybe accelerator to pivot you to not just cater to retail, but to open the scope. Um, but what would you say has been the most exciting moment since launching Dweet? I mean, there's been so many exciting uh, moments. Um, Eli, Andreas or I had a life before Dweet, right? a corporate <laughs> yeah. uh, career. Uh, and uh, with a lot of, uh, I mean, high and lows, but with very exciting highs uh, yeah. also. Uh, but, you know, having this feeling that you are building brick by brick, mm -hmm. uh, you know, something that did not exist, that makes a lot of people happy, you know, in itself is uh, really rewarding. So this is rewarding on a daily basis, honestly. Uh, and building our own team, you know, and uh, uh, who uh, believe in us, uh, who believe in the in the project? Who are putting you know a big portion of their lives 
working for us also is extremely uh, rewarding. Yeah. You know, uh, when uh, we had our first uh, uh, talents, uh, you know, signing up and signing up without us reaching out to them, you know, but because mm. they have heard about us or uh, when uh, a brand like, uh, like Chanel, you know, comes back to us yeah. uh, for, uh, you know, another opportunity, you know, I mean, these are all extremely rewarding moments. Absolutely. And I know that artificial intelligence is actually something that from the beginning has been really core to the offering that you have at Tweet. Can you yeah. tell me about how you're using AI uh, to yeah. speed up the process of recruitment? 100%. I mean, uh, I mean, Andreas uh, is a specialist of matching algorithms and artificial intelligence. So we always knew, you know, that uh, we would integrate these tools into our solution. Also, our goal uh, today is to disrupt uh, the way people work in the fashion industry. So we uh, provide a lot more flexibility, a lot more opportunities. And we also want to find people who are not necessarily today working in the fashion or the luxury industry, but they're you know, very interested and very capable of doing so. And you know, using uh, the tech allows us to find these people you know, at, uh, at scale. You know, uh, and uh, AI... Yeah, it can be uh, used uh, in very trivial tools. Like uh, we have an AI uh, job description generator uh, mm. for our clients. So they just, uh, you know, type the job title, uh, the name of their company, yeah. and they will have immediately, you know, a, a, a very good job description. So it allows them to save a lot of time. And for us, you know, uh, we use AI mainly for the curation of the talents, you know, uh, for um, automated reach outs. And uh, a lot of steps of the of, of the way that allows us mm -hmm. to deliver, you know, a, a good service faster at scale. Super interesting. And I know AI is like the big buzzword right now. And everyone's wondering, how do we use AI in our business and whatnot? But um, like the reality is so many businesses have been using it already for many years. And it's yeah. just, I think, become a little bit more mainstream as it's been put in the hands of just everyday users. But it's powering a lot of the things that we engage with on a daily basis already. Yes. I mean... Uh, you know, uh, now AI uh, can be used by anyone. Now the real uh, challenge is how do you use AI? Is yeah. it relevant for your business? And uh, are, are you keeping your soul? <laughs> you know, so that's why we, uh, today we have what we call a managed marketplace. So uh, okay. we use a lot of automation, yeah. you know, that uh, allows us to, to do a lot of tasks at scale, you know. Uh, uh, but at the same time, there is always a human at the end of the chain that decides, uh, you know, if the profile uh, is uh, relevant for the client mm. and that interacts with the, with, with the client. So the, the tip of the iceberg is, uh, is a human. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to technology and innovation, obviously that's at the core of your business. That's what you're using to power all these interactions, to streamline the recruitment process, also for it to be democratized. So it's much um, more affordable now for people to use your platform if they're a brand looking for um, people to hire. But many tech power luxury listeners, they come with questions on how do I get into the luxury industry? So maybe mm -hmm. from the perspective of a new graduate, um, but also we have people who are looking to pivot and who have worked in other industries for quite some time. So what would be the advice that you would give maybe to those two different audiences, the people who are just getting started out versus people who are trying to change after maybe 10 to 20 years already of experience? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious uh, answer for me is to encourage them to create a profile on Tweet. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, it's free, you know, and you join a community of peers, um, and we animate this community uh, uh, 
and also, uh, you know, that uh, would allow them to be discovered and found because we uh, were not only looking at your past experience, but also at your, at you, you know, uh, your skills, hard skills, soft skills, and also what you have in mind for the, for, for, for the future. Uh, so that's the, that, that's the beauty of, uh, of tech today. You know, there is no BS uh, and uh, we're really uh, considering uh, everyone and trying to find, mm. you know, the the, 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 the hidden gems. Um, that That's one thing. Another thing, it's, I think retail is often uh, overlooked by a lot of people, you know, uh, entering the fashion industry. And for me, retail is pretty amazing because, you know, this is where you meet with the clients. This is where you touch the product and this is where you understand what works and what works less. So uh, I'm not saying that everyone should have a career in retail, but, you know, spending, you know, a few days, a few weeks, a few months um, in, a, in a store uh, or even an e-store, you know, um, is, uh, is an invaluable experience. That's so um, important. For anyone. I, I encourage everyone to to spend time in luxury retail because like you can't, I don't think you should be able to work in luxury if you've never spent time in retail, um, yeah. especially if you're not a client, like if you're not a luxury client and you have never been on the other side and understand how luxury clients actually engage with products, um, it's, it just doesn't make sense. Just spend time in the stores, go in. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, actually today, I think it's a bit of common sense, uh, but it was not so obvious and still not obvious for some people. When I started working at L'Oréal, uh, L'Oréal, you know, asks uh, anyone who is going to uh, to work uh, for them to spend some time on the road, as they say, you yeah. know, uh, uh, visiting the network uh, and visiting the point of sales. When I joined Chanel as a financial controller, I mean, I spent my first two weeks in a store, you know, uh, helping around and uh, understanding a lot about the business. Same thing at Dior. When I joined Dior, you know, you're, you're in the stores at the... Uh, and at the early stages of your career. So I think, you know, you learn so much uh, by, uh, by doing so. That would be my uh, number one advice, you know, uh, try as much as possible, uh, even if you are uh, in the finance, HR, mm. uh, communication, if you can spend a few hours, a few days, a few weeks in a store, do it. Completely agree. Actually, one of my uh, most challenging but interesting days when I was at Dior was on the shop floor in sure. London Heathrow. So sure. I went to London and I had to sell, sell, sell. I had a target and everything. It was really scary. And from that day on, I just respect even more all the sales associates. Yes. They are so important. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's it's important to be connected to the base. Mm. It's important to be connected to the clients. Uh, when you are uh, devising a uh, uh, new campaign, you know, uh, if you can picture, you know, uh, who... Uh, will actually uh, see your campaign, what the impact will be, uh, you know, in the, in the stores, uh, on the sales of the, of the products. Uh, obviously, uh, it will be all the more powerful. Absolutely. Um, and then when it comes to people who are looking to change career, you know, maybe they're like you and they studied finance, but they stayed in finance, you know, and they actually at the back of their mind, yeah. they're always thinking luxury, that could have been fun or lawyers, the amount of people that come to me and they've studied law and then felt obliged to work in law because it took so long to study. And then, you know, 10 years later, they're burnt out because it doesn't excite them anymore. Do you see a mm -hmm. lot of people coming to Dweet like with these kind of profiles and what advice would you have for them to pivot into the industry? So, I mean, yes, we see it more and more. 
you know, and uh, and people doing masters in fashion schools. Yeah. Or today we have some MBAs. business schools uh, that are doing MBAs on luxury. You know, so again, I think it's important to keep your eyes on the price. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes um, let's say be patient and work uh, by increments, by steps. You know, because uh, sometimes you need to take a step back in order to move forward. Uh, and accept uh, a job that is uh, maybe, uh, you know, below uh, the level of uh, yeah. experience 100%. or responsibility that you had, you know. Um, I think the, the the smartest way to do so is to do it as a plan, you know, yeah. agreed with the brand. You know, say, uh, guys, you know, I want to have this position in communication, but uh, maybe uh, it's a two years plan. And for mm. a year and a half, I could, you know, boom, take a step back, do a bit of retail, do a bit of... Uh, yeah. digital to a bit of, you know, that's the ideal uh, scenario. Yeah. When I was working at Chanel, I was welcoming uh, uh, the um, uh, luxury uh, Trek MBA from Stanford. So uh, every year, um, a batch of students were visiting uh, fashion and luxury brands in Europe, mm. uh, you know, uh, meeting, uh, meeting the brands. And so at the end of each visit, I was receiving a lot of CVs from extremely smart people who worked yeah. for the best, uh, uh, you know, consulting firms, worked in uh, in finance and yeah. and they were asking me, you know, is Chanel hiring MBAs? And my answer was mm, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, um, most people who have a lot of responsibilities in fashion started, you know, at, uh, at a lower intern. level, at yeah. entry level as an intern, exactly. And they worked their way up and it took a, a lot of dedication and, and, and took a lot of time. So, yeah, I think patience is, uh, is important. Uh, humility uh, is extremely uh, important. Uh, but if you keep your eyes on the prize and if you're motivated, there is no reason why it won't happen. Absolutely. That's really good advice. And um, I think being humble about it as well, like if you're changing industry, even if you're coming with a very big title and lots of experience, mm-hmm. but you're missing that luxury expertise, that's that's still really important. And if a brand is, uh, you know, open to teaching you that and being patient with you, then I think you have to expect for um, yourself to have a bit of patience as well, to get ready to grow into that role and to grow into the industry because the company is taking a big risk on you as well. You know, the alternative for them is to fill that role with someone who has the exact experience that they need. Um, So, yeah. For sure. But uh, uh, to add to that, obviously the fashion brands today need people coming from adjacent or completely yeah. different industries, you know, and uh, and I think they are more and more open to that because they also need to think differently. We live in a fast uh, moving world also, uh, you know, so I think there are more opportunities today than there was 20 years ago to join uh, the fashion and luxury industry with a bit more exotic backgrounds. For sure. And especially when it comes to everything to do with uh, digital technology, it's the reason the podcast is here, because um, there's a real need for people in the industry to upskill. People that have been there for a long time already, they need to learn about digital. It's so core now um, to the business and the impact it has. But then also, how do you hire people with those digital and technical expertise if nobody knows where to steer them? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Laurent, I've learned so much from speaking with you, not just about the world of luxury, but also how it has been evolving across the world, different regions, launching a company, fundraising. It seems you've been doing a little bit of everything, but with uh, incredible focus for the last um, 20 years now, I guess. What's next for you and for Dweet? Now we feel ready to come back to retail also. And uh, we focused uh, at the 
top of the pyramid, I would say, you know, very experienced people. We were and we are building a reputation, you know, so we we uh, we placed people with, with with a lot of experience, and also uh, since uh, since COVID, we realized that uh, you know doing uh, retail and in order to do it properly, uh, you need to, uh, to to come back you know strong with a lot of tech involved. So now we feel uh, we feel ready. Uh, so I think the next stage for 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 do it is to develop you know um, a retail offering, especially uh, offering uh, uh, temporary staff you know, to the stores mm-hmm. in a very uh, efficient and qualitative way. So this is uh, this is something we are uh, working on, especially in London for now. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's uh, that, that's uh, what's next for, uh, for, for, for Duit. We're going to raise also uh, some, uh, so, some more money because uh, we uh, also want to uh, start talking a bit more efficiently uh, about, uh, about who we are. Uh, again, we're very cautious uh, to do it, uh, you know, step by step, uh, because uh, we know that uh, luxury and fashion is an unforgiving world. And if you come with a half cook solution, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, people would not uh, try twice. So uh, again, now we feel that it's time for us uh, to let people know that um, you know, do it exists. Uh, do it can be a solution for 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 many people, and encourage more and more people to join us. Uh, so that's that's really what we want to do. Uh, towards the end of this year and beginning of, ne- of next year. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure we let all of our you know, tech-powered luxury community know about the platform that you have, because this is the solution that a lot of listeners are looking for, whether it's because they want to find their next position or because they need to hire uh, super talent. So I think it's a solution that uh, fits really, really well for the industry right now. And um, it's incredible to see that you've built it and you've come from the industry yourself, but you've also found people with experience in recruitment and in tech. Yeah. It seems like the the three um, type of co-founders that are really required to build something like this. Yeah. No, Exactly. Exactly. Exciting times ahead. Absolutely. Laurent, thank you so much. I've, it's been an absolute pleasure to learn about Tweed and everything that you're doing. And I can't wait to see uh, how it all evolves for you over the next uh, weeks and months and years. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks. And uh, long live uh, Take Power Luxury. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for today's episode of Tech Powered Luxury. Wherever you've been listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, email, Facebook. We'd love to know what you thought of our conversation with co-founder and CEO of Duit, Laurent Pifot. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to partner with GladCloud, the platform that is powering our media campaigns through its collaborative social media marketing platform, which is perhaps how you have discovered the podcast today. 